It's so beautiful to see uh, so many faces in the sanctuary this morning, and good morning to those of you who are at home as well. Rev. Josh came to me some weeks back with a list of dates and asked me if I would like to do a sermon. I'm always humbled and grateful to stand before my church family, and so I excitedly and randomly chose today, Sunday, March 14th. Several weeks prior to a sermon, I begin to read and digest the gospel reading that I will be speaking on. So I took a quick, a quick peek at the lectionary and immediately laughed out loud. God sure does have a sense of humor. You see, if there ever was a Bible verse that I wish with all of my heart that I could permanently erase, it would be John 3.16 from our gospel reading this morning. John 3.16, probably the most well-known, most likely to be memorized, most often quoted verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. On the surface, it sounds pretty lovely, and there are many people probably even in this sanctuary, that would agree. This verse can be seen everywhere, from t-shirts to wall hangings, bumper stickers, and even during major sporting events. And yet for me, this verse can be, when interpreted through a particular lens, so divisive and exclusionary that I can personally do without it. Before some of you uh, tune me out or even tune me off, uh, turn me off, please allow me a moment to explain. For those of you who know me well, you know that my faith journey has changed radically over the years. The summer of 1998, the first time I prayed the sinner's prayer and asked Jesus into my heart, was the year that I learned that the only way to get to heaven, to have eternal life, was by having a personal relationship with Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and that my new life's mission should now be to convince everyone that I meet that they needed to do the same. I became a have, living in a world where there were a whole lot of have-nots. And the future of a whole lot of folks rested on my shoulders and the shoulders of all of those in the in-group. I recently read, whenever people claim that one group is in, when one group is accepted by God and everyone else is out, why is it that those who make this claim are almost always a part of the group that is in? If I allowed myself, I could cling to a lot of shame and embarrassment and regret over things I said or things I did. Everyone in my circle, especially me, created Jesus in our own image. And we made decisions for God about who would be accepted by God and who wouldn't. Those who didn't confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they're out, no entry into heaven. You don't take the Bible literally, sorry, no place for you here. Women should be treated as equal. Surely you have lost your mind. 
We should help those who have no homes and no food. Why? God provides. Surely they need to just work as hard as I do and they will be just fine. How about those who are in a loving and committed relationship with those of the same gender? Absolutely not. There is no way that those people will ever be a part of this in-group. I lived with a very strict and rigid interpretation of John 3.16. For God so loved only the people that agree with the same things that I do, that he gave his only son to an elect few, of course, so that everyone who thinks and acts and lives exactly like I do, and says the sinner's prayer, will not perish forever in the fiery furnace of hell, but will live forever in heaven, where only a select few will be after they die. Please understand these words and these thoughts are very real and very hurtful and still very raw and difficult for me to share with you this morning. I believed these things with all of my heart and I felt great pride in being a part of the in-group. I raised my children to believe exactly as I did, and I never once wavered from my convictions. I read recently that as parents, we hope to raise our kids in such a way that they have as little as possible to unlearn later on in life. Please pray for Emily and Justin. Thanks to me, there are just a couple things that they might need to unlearn. But my real hope is that you might have a deeper understanding as to why this verse is a real trigger for me. This verse can hurt. And when interpreted by a select few, it can destroy lives because it leaves out a majority of humanity, a majority of amazing individuals that God loves and that God created in God's image and loves very, very, very much. This verse leaves out a majority of people that love God and love one another. A majority of amazing individuals that serve God and serve one another selflessly in this life, right here and right now. A commentator I read this week wrote, it often appears that those who talk the most about going to heaven when you die talk the least about bringing heaven to earth right now. Thank you, God, that you are a God of second chances, a God of miracles and of mysteries. There are so many parts of you, God, that I cannot grasp and I cannot fully understand. And the more I think I know, the more I realize that there is more to be known. Thank you, God, that your spirit drew me kicking and screaming into the doors of this church because that is the real day that I was saved, that I was rescued from my own creation of who I thought God was that I was saved from a life of empty living and called to a life of living like Jesus lived. Called to live out a life of love for God and love for my neighbor. And isn't that the greatest commandment?
Just like the Israelites who wandered and grumbled and became impatient with God, I find myself doing the same exact things. As I wander in this new life, I want the quick answers, the crystal clear answers, so I can be done with this new journey that I'm on. And yet still, at every twist and turn, there seems to be a new something to learn and a new something to understand. A new understanding that causes me to repent and begs me to pray and to grow. And so I am so grateful for the people who have traveled alongside of me. I aspire to be just like them. So far, God has not brought poisonous snakes to my path, and for that, I am grateful. But I know that if God ever does, there will be something that I need to stop and learn and heal from so that I can again live into the journey that God has called me on. Eternal life is right now, not just when we die. Eternal life is a life lived in the presence of God right here, right now, and forever. I have lived our epistle reading from this morning in Ephesians. I have followed the group that doesn't know the first thing about life, yet tried to tell others how to live. I never want to go back to the bondage of that past life, even when the do's and don'ts seem very, very clear. I want to live in the presence of God. I want to choose to live into the waiting and even the hard spaces where, with God's help, I can learn and grow and change. I want to be transformed into the image of God and the image of Jesus that I was created to be. I want to be an example of God's mercy and grace and love because the tragedy is that rather than receiving the heart of God, we, I, tried to remake Jesus into my own image. And when that did not work, we watched as the heart of God shattered into a million pieces on the cross. This Lent, I continue to fast from fear and feast on courage. The courage to love everyone like Jesus loved. I continue to fast from judgment and feast on healing. Healing of old wounds and looking towards the cross. Trusting the outpouring of God's love that leads to life. I continue to fast from comparison of myself to others and feast on the joy of being created in the image of God and believing that I am truly loved for who I am. So what do you need to fast from in order to find the love and healing of God? Is there a person in your life who needs to see the love of God through your words and your actions? Where might you be creating God in your own image? Will you take some time this week and talk with God about that? One of the things that I remember so vividly about my first Sunday at REC was looking up at the cross while hearing Father Robert say, 
This is the table of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love and for those who want to love more. So come you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have fallen short. Come, for it is the risen Christ who invites you. It is the risen Christ who wants to meet you here. When I feel like I am wandering and losing my way, I stand in the sanctuary and I look up at the cross. And these are the words that lead me straight back into the arms of a loving God who loves us all. Amen.